Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Well, welcome to week two of our series entitled Epic Stories. And uh, last Sunday, we had a chance to look at the story of Abraham. And uh, that passage is so rich, and that story has so much to share to us. that I, I want to continue on a little bit with that this week, if I may, with you. And this week, we want to look at a secondary character to Abraham's story. We want to look at his nephew, Lot. And Lot has, I think for us, a story that has a great warning in life, a great... Just an example of saying, boy, what you do matters so much. And so we're going to look today at the life of Lot, and we're going to simply see this, this issue of proximity. And we're going to see how proximity can determine the direction and the quality of your life. So let me illustrate that for you. Let me go back a little old school. We're heading into basketball season, and uh, so my mind is rolling there quickly. Let me throw it up on the screen. Here's a little trivia for you today. Out of these four NBA players... Which one has the most NBA titles as a player? In case you don't know who they are, top left, Kawhi Leonard. Clippers, Spurs, one of the best two-way players in NBA history. On a top, Larry, legend. If you have not seen old school Larry, you need to go to YouTube. It will impress you. Dwayne Wade, he and LeBron made the run in Miami, the incredible things down there. And Will Perdue, you may, a little side note on Will Perdue. Will Perdue held the NBA record for what? The largest tennis shoe before Shaquille O'Neal came into the league. Will wears a size 21, two years, played with some of the great NBA coaches of all time, Steve Kerr and uh, Avery Johnson. Which one of these four has the most NBA titles? The answer may surprise you. Hello, Brian and everybody with Lex City. It's Will Purdue, formerly of the Chicago Bulls and the San Antonio Spurs. Now, I am very fortunate to have not only played in the NBA, but won four NBA championships. And just so you know, a little fun fact, that's more than Dwayne Wade or the Hall of Famer Larry Bird or Kawhi Leonard, the Claw. So my timing was good and my teammates were great. But just remember something, everybody, there is power in proximity. Being part of a great team is always better than working alone. The better the team, quite honestly, the better the individuals. A lot of people know about me because I played on some great teams, and I'm very thankful for that. And listen, I know you guys love basketball in Kentucky. I live part-time in Louisville, but I will say this. I went to Vanderbilt, so I do root for the Cats, except when they play the Commodores. So remember that. So every year when UofL and UK play, I'm rooting for the big blue. And last thing, Brian, I heard you're a baller. So I think it might be time for us to get together, play a little horse, a little one-on-one. Better get into the gym and start practicing the J, my man. So one of these days, we'll get together, play a little basketball, have a few drinks, and uh, tell us some stories. All right? So go Cats. Now, just so you know that I am a team player, that noise you hear in the background, that's the dryer saying the clothes are done. So I got to go because I got to fold. Talk to everybody later. Go Bulls. (laughs) I love it. All right, so Will, if you are watching this morning, I want to let you know the staff plays every Thursday. You need to dust off those size 21s, bring your game. We're waiting for you. We'll see you out there. 
I love Will Purdue. I loved him as a, back when I was watching basketball all the time. He played with two of my favorite top five players of all time. Played with Michael Jordan, won three championships with Jordan, and then played with David Robinson and won a championship with the Spurs. And I'm reminded again, proximity makes all the difference. Three Hall of Famers that you saw on that screen and Will Purdue retired with more championships than all of them at that point. It's an amazing thing. See, when you spend time with champions, you have a better chance of becoming a champion. But it's hard to soar with the eagles when you fly with the turkeys. Did I just make that up? Nobody ever know that one before? <laughs> Somehow in my mind, I thought it might go a little bit better. All right, it's hard to fly with the eagles when you're surrounded by turkeys. You get the idea. Big thought for today. All right, here's where we're going. Proximity can determine the quality and the direction of your life. Neurosurgeon, scientist, uh, Morin Self, who really had done some studies and found this, that it's really interesting, that proximity can actually begin to rewire your brain and how you think about things by determining who you spend time with and those characters and those traits that are there. And so here's his conclusion, knowing that the impact of this. He says this, if people want to maximize happiness and minimize stress, they should build a life that requires few decisions by surrounding themselves with people who employ the traits they prefer. Over time, they will naturally pick up those desirable attitudes and behaviors. If you want to increase your happiness, reduce your stress, spend time with people who have the same character, values that you either possess or that you want to possess, and you'll find over time it has an impact. So here's the question for you today. What are five traits that you want to be true in your life? What are five traits that you'd like to be true in your life to be characterized? And then are the five people that you're spending the most time with are they reinforcing those traits or are they combating those and working against them? Today we're going to see again out of the story of Lot. Lot's an amazing story. This is a young man, unlimited potential that he had, godly influence. Second Peter actually says Lot was a righteous man at the beginning of his life. He's hit the jackpot, right? He's a relative to, of all people, Abraham. One of the wealthiest people of the time, a, a man who walks in faith and loves God and walks with God in such a way. The stories are, and, and everything is aligned, the stars are there for a lot to have an amazing epic life. But proximity plays a factor. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, if you would go to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis chapter 13. If you've got your phones, you can turn them on, fire them up. All the sermon notes are there. Take your phone and go to lexcity.info. If you're new this morning, you'll find all the sermon notes there that you can follow along with us as we go. So Genesis chapter 13, let's jump into the story. So Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him, into Negib. But Abram was rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from Negib as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the very beginning. So he's back all the way to where we left off last week. Between Bethel and I, a place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord, and Lot, who went with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's and livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. We pick up the story, and Lot and Abraham, they're having rich people problems. You know how rich people problems work, right? I, I got too much stuff. Uh, I have so much livestock that the, the land can't, 
can't support my livestock and it can't support lots of livestock. And so all of a sudden there's conflict between the herdsmen. And rather than work this out with grace and kindness towards one another, they begin to fight and, and feud and greed. Let's just be honest. Greed creeps in. I want the best land for my flock, my livestock. And so strife becomes between the two. And the Bible makes special mention. It's interesting. That while this is going on between these two tribes in the surrounding area, who is watching? It's the Canaanites and the Perizzites that are there and they're watching and looking in. So these pagan cultures have a front row seat to what it looks like for the children of God to fight and have dispute amongst one another. What a wonderful example, right, to a lost world as, uh, that they're giving. Now before we cast too many stones out the window, right, take a moment, let's look in the mirror for you and I as we think about those. I still remember Tammy and I, after church, wasn't here, went to a restaurant, sat down at the table, and we sat down next to a big table of church folk. And you know the church folk, right? Because they dress funny and they don't tip. And uh, so the church folks, I'm sorry, did I say it out loud? And uh, so the church folk were there. And in their beautiful outdoor voice, they spend the entire lunch complaining about their church, about how they didn't like to worship, they didn't like the pastor, and on the entire lunch, they are griping, griping. And then I can't figure out why at the end of the lunch, when you invite their waitress, if she'd ever want to come to church, she has no interest in going to church. The negativity constantly there in the world's watching. You've experienced this. I don't know about you. I've got friends on social media. I mean, this is such a hot topic for me of late. I've got friends on social media. Like, I am defriending and unfollowing because all they do is just gripe and complain. And you're probably like me. I've got folks who are far from God who are my friends, who follow me on social media, and they don't need to hear that. They already are skeptical of the church. They are certainly skeptical of Christians, and all this criticism just, just builds on it. Big C Church, can I just remind us, look, we can do better. We've got to do better. This is the story of Abraham and Lot. World was watching, and now they're feuding with rich people problems that they have. But what I love about Abraham is that Abraham steps into this tension, right? There's this tension with he and Lot, and rather than avoid it, tonight he steps into it. Great leadership. Go to verse 8. Then Abram, who again is later known as Abraham, Abraham said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Historically and contextually, we, we probably don't get the weight of what Abraham is saying to Lot at this point. I mean, this was the ultimate act of humility. It was an act of grace towards Lot. We're going to see from Abraham that he valued, this is so important, he valued the relationship over being right. He, he valued the relationship over winning the dispute because really in the context, there is no dispute that's happening here. In a hierarchy cultural setting that we look at, listen, the father always got the first land over the son, and the patriarch, who Abraham was, got the first right of choice of land even over all of the fathers. There's no choice here. There's no com Abraham gets the best land, gets first choice. That's just how it works, and everybody understood that. But he graciously puts his own desires behind. And he says the lot, really. Think about this to this young man. Lot. Man, it's just stuff just stuff. If you want this land, you take that land. God's taking care of me. God's got this. You want to go over here? You just take over there. It's more important my relationship it is with you than making money or having stuff. God's got me. Think about the powerful message to this young man. 
Verse 10, and Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well. It was well watered. Everything there was like the garden of the Lord. Jordan Valley, so beautiful. It's like the garden of Eden. It's like this amazing. Like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. That was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Shadow, shadowing what's coming. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley. <laughs> and Lot journeyed east, thus separated from each other. And Lot falls into what we talked about in that, first, that last week, the monkey trap, right? He's chasing what is shiny, what is easy. He sees the Jordan Valley and says, man, that's the thing I must have. It's beautiful. It's flush. Everything is great. But it's in proximity to Sodom. You see where the story goes. Verse 12. And Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley, and he moved his tent as far as Sodom. Jordan Valley, huge, huge area. And of all the places he could have settled, he decides, hey, I'm going to move over here and I'm going to settle as close to the land of Sodom as I can. Verse 13, this is the problem. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And all men are sinners, right? Every city, we're all sinners. But God makes special reference. Like these, the depravity of the sin that's happening in Sodom and the arrogance of it and the flaunting of their sin is what created the tension. So we'll look at Lot today, proximity. Here's the first step, the first principle of the, the danger of proximity. Proximity number one, we see this, that he moved near the city of Sodom. And the challenge with moving near the city of Sodom is it creates this compromise in our thinking, and you may recognize this. It says this, I will go, but I will not participate. You ever had those compromising thoughts, right? I'll go into the city just for occasion to get goods, but I'm not going to participate in the festivities. I'm just going. I'm not participating as we go. I'll just observe, right? There's no harm in just being there. And you know the danger of that kind of rationalization, right? Man, I'm just going with the guys after work. No harm if I, I'm just going. I'm just going to be a, a part of those things, right? I'm not participating, right? I'm just going to the party. I'm not drinking out of the red cups, right? But I'm just there. It's okay. I'm not participating. I feel that so much this weekend. Many of you are college students. You know, UK is just, and all of it, up and kicking. And you have these freshmen you may be even here feeling this tension, where do I fit, how do I do, and where do I go? And man, my heart breaks for the challenge that awaits them even in these next two weeks as they try to find their spot, right? I'm going to go, but I'm just not going to participate. I actually had somebody say to me, I'm going to go to the strip club, and I'm, not, I'm just going to watch, and I'm not going to have a, a lap dance. I promise you I won't. I'm like, this is lot kind of thinking, Right? I'll go, no harm, I'm just not going to participate. Contrast that kind of thinking to Abraham kind of thinking. Go to verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot is separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southern, eastward, and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Abraham, why don't you look this way? It's all going to be yours. All that's yours. Remember that that you just gave the lot? All that's going to be yours, everywhere you can see. It's that wonderful reminder. I, I've had that experience in my own life. I remember when Tammy and I were dating, and I knew I had this sense of call towards ministry. And I remember having this, 
conversation with her, knowing kind of her background. I said, listen, babe, here's the deal. If I go into ministry, there's probably some things I'm going to have to forfeit and probably some things I'm not going to be able to provide for you the way just because that's what I feel God's calling me to do. She's like, great, let's do this thing. You know the wonderful blessings of God? God has given me ten, everything I thought I would forfeit. God has given me ten times fold from the things that I thought I was giving away. Right? It's just this wonderful promise. This was Abraham. Abraham's story. He chose not to fight for what was rightfully his. He left the outcome. He left the results. He left his reputation in the Lord's hand. And the beauty is this. When you follow the Lord's leading, you sacrifice nothing in the long term. Maybe some things in the short term, but on the long term, he says, this will be yours. This will be yours. Even that thing you thought you gave up, if you trust me, I'll supply that in ways maybe different than what you thought, but I'll meet you there in a powerful way. God then gives Abraham a promise right after what he's done. Let's go to verse uh, 16. And I will make your offspring as dust of the earth, so that no one can count the dust of the earth. Your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled in the oaks of Marie, which was in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord, right? This theme we see from Abraham over and over, right? Walks in faith, steps out in immediate obedience to the Lord. And then he takes a moment, he builds an altar to worship even before the promise is completed. In the midst of the struggle, right? Abraham doesn't have kids. He's going to have more than the dust of the earth. God, I trust you. I trust your word. I trust your promise in these moments. We move on to chapter 14. We've got to keep moving on the story. The story progresses. Chapter 14, verse 11. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all of their provisions and went their way. And they also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and they went their way. Proximity number two. Sodom, or Lot, is now living in Sodom. He once settled near. Chapter 14, he's now living in Sodom. Now notice, Lot was not taken because he was in proximity to Sodom. Lot and his family were taken because they were living in Sodom. And the enemy couldn't distinguish the difference between the, the people of Sodom and Lot. And with no distinction, both of them are carried away. And as a result, right, there's collateral damage for the defeat of Sodom is that Lot is carried away with his family. It's a principle we saw, we've talked on it before, Proverbs 13, 20, right? Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fool will suffer harm. Proverbs, if you spend time in the proximity of fools, you will eventually be impacted by their decision. You get in their car, you join them as business partners, you get into a relationship and their character or their lack of it and their morality and the lack of it in different things doesn't just live in isolation. It will cause you harm, Proverbs says. This is Lot's challenge, right? Now think about what's happening in, in Lot's mind, the things that are happening here. Second Peter tells us a little bit more about the insight. Second Peter 2. And if he rescued righteous Lot, being God, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked... For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, right? This is what he's saying. This is the conflict. He lived in Sodom day after day with the wicked people. He was tormented, his righteous soul, over their lawless deeds that he saw and he heard. Here's the principle, right? Proximity to sin torments his heart. 
Day in and day out, Saul or Lot is living in the torment of seeing all the godlessness that's there and it torments his heart. Modern day now, we would simply say this, that the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life will not allow you to live or be in the presence of sin and have peace in your life because God loves you so much. The danger always comes, right? When we begin to have peace in our life and still living in consistent sin. I mean, that's when we know we're in, in dangerous foothold. When we become so comfortable with our sin and so comfortable with the sin around us that we can stay there in proximity and it no longer bothers us. At the start of Lot's story, it bothered him greatly. The Bible says he was tormented by it. We're gonna see over time, he becomes so comfortable with it. So for the sake of time, we're gonna skip ahead, right? 13 to 15 years from now, Lot gets carried off. Abraham, dude, he, the man is a dude. I mean, his little army of 318, they go back, you read this yourself, go back and capture uh, Lot, bring back the whole family, all of his possessions. I mean, he's a stud beyond stud. But anyways, so he, he rescues him. And where does Lot return? Back to Sodom. We pick up the story, he's there. Now, here's the incredible thing. God is about to judge Sodom for its depravity and its arrogance towards him. And Abraham pleads to God. He says, God, please don't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you lot is there, if you could find 10, just 10, if you could find 10 righteous people in the entire city, would you spare it? God's like, all right, give me 10. All I need is 10, I'll spare it. <laughs> Seeks the land, 10 cannot be found. But his mercy and his love decides to spare Lot and his family, even though they didn't deserve it. You think about that, that's just like us, isn't it? And there's nothing in us, and you heard the wonderful story this morning, there's nothing in us that deserves God's love and God's favor and God's mercy. We didn't earn it. Our inconsistency, our hypocrisy, our pride, all of these things, we don't deserve it. And yet God in his mercy says, listen, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna rescue you. I'll save you from your sins and I'll give you hope and a purpose. I mean, that's, Lot's story is our story. We're like a dog, we return to our vomit and still in the midst of all this, God says, man, I love you enough, I'm gonna save you. So in Lot's context, he sends two angels to rescue Lot. And when the angels come into the city, because remember, Lot is now living in Sodom, where do they find Lot? Let's look, First, chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he arose, he met them, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. Proximity number three, right? Lot is now sitting in the gate. And the city gate is significant in any, any town and country. The city gate is where the politicians, the influencers, this is where they all gathered. So Lot now is no longer just living in the city. He is part of the very culture, the very fabric of the city. He's sitting there with the influencers, uh, some uh, scholars think that Lot actually was serving in a position of a judge because of where he was sitting at the city gate. Now think about this. Proximity. Settled near Sodom. <laughs> Began to live in Sodom. Third proximity is now sitting at the gate, places of influence and culture that's there. Chapter 19, the next part of the chapter, gives us some insight into the depravity of the city and really the, old, the brokenness of Lot's heart. The two men come in, Lot takes them back to their home, and that evening, the Bible says the entire city of men, both young and old, 
surround the, the place of Lot's home. And they begin to plead for him to send out the two young, they don't know their angels, I think they're visitors, two young visitors that they might have relationships with these two young men. And in the moment of just brokenness of where Lot was in his life, think about this, he offers his two daughters to this mob to say, don't hurt these men, take my daughters instead. A man who we just saw earlier in 2 Peter, God referred to him as a righteous man, has now fallen so far to the lowest sense of depth, and you can think of this as a father, that he's offering up his two daughters to a depraved mob to say, here, take my daughters instead. That's the brokenness of his heart and where sin leads us. The next morning, the Bible says that these two angels literally, literally drag Lot and his family uh, away from the city. We see that there before the judgment of God falls from the sky. Genesis chapter 19, then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valleys and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. If you're like me, I've heard that story a lot of times uh, if you grew up around church. And if we're not careful, we kind of get this idea like, oh, poor Lot's wife. I mean, she just glanced. She just wanted to check it out. It was just this accidental glance and, you know, a pillar of salt that was there. But it's deeper than that. The the word actually means that the phrase, it's more of this idea of a desire to return, a, a regret for leaving. Some will even interpret it. She actually turned and returned to the city. Uh, before it was destroyed. Either way, I just want to encourage you, this wasn't just an accidental glance. This was an intentional response by his wife, a reaction like, I don't want to leave, and I'm identifying with these things. Lot's life. Wife just turned a pillar of salt. You're fleeing with nothing but just what you have, and you think it can't get any worse. But sin, right, it always has a way of taking us farther than we ever wanted to go. And it always keeps us longer than we ever wanted to stay. And it always costs us more than we ever wanted to pay. And the sin of proximity, we're going to see as we close out with Lot, cost him absolutely everything. Genesis chapter 19, verse 30. Now Lot went up out of Zor, and he lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zor. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. This once righteous man one of the wealthiest men in the region of influence and prestige and all of these things, now finds himself at the end of his life living in a cave, hiding with his two daughters. And the story, it sickens, and the depravity of it even continues a little bit more. His two daughters, understanding that Lot has no legacy, he has no children, no heir, no nothing, and one evening decide to get Lot drunk and They commit incest with him. Uh, This produces crazy stuff. Produces two sons. These two sons grow up to have two tribes that for the history of their lives are Satan-worshipping pagan tribes. They're Moabites and the Ammonites. And that's the story of Lot. His legacy. But it all starts with proximity. He, He settled near the city progressive nature of sin in our lives, he then moves into the city. He then moves to the city gates where he's engaged in part of the very culture. And it came over subtle little decisions over time. But at the end of the day, we find him and he leaves this point that we find him 
hiding in a cave. This was not the man Lot wanted to be. Certainly wasn't the man that God designed him to be and God created him to be in God's call on his life. But this is the man that we find, and it all happened because he began to compromise a little bit on this area of proximity. So what, what do we do with that happy story that I give you here today? The question is for us, like, how about us, right? I started by asking you this question. What, what are the five characteristics that you want to be true in your life? 2022, as we're launching into new school year, new season, what are five things that you want to be true of you over this next year? Think about those. Are, there, are your five closest people, are the five contexts that you spend the most time, are these things reinforcing those qualities or are they working against them? See, if, if you want to be a positive, encouraging, grace-giving, hope-filling kind of person, then you can't spend all your time with critical, negative, difficult people. If you want to be healthy, if you want to be generous, if, if you want to be family-focused in what you do, then you've got to ex- spend time with people that exhibit those behaviors, right? Because that reinforces who you are. In those moments when you're weak, that group is strong to help and encourage you along. They model it for you. If you want to grow in your faith, you want your faith to be active and vibrant, you're like, man, just my faith is dry. It's been a long season. 2022, man, this, I, I want my faith to be alive. I want to be active. I, I want to have that same, I want to get up in the morning with the same joy and purpose I used to have years ago. Then, then here's the key. Are you spending time with people whose faith is active and vibrant to encourage you, to inspire you? Two great ways, we've been talking about it, we do every year at the start of this year, you know, two ways to create those kind of significant connection and relationships, right, is, we heard testimony today, but it's on serving. Last week we talked about joining groups. Why? As I look around this room today, listen, you couldn't pick a better group of people to do life with. Nobody perfect here, but man, there's just good people who love God, who care about our community and love their families and love their coworkers. I mean, this is it. God's given you a, a family, a tribe to do that in. So my encouragement to you is, are you leaning into it? This is your proximity. It's the gift of the family of God with all of our flaws. I don't know anybody. Great. Serve. Find a team. Get involved that way. Meet 10 or 12 people. Oh, great. Every week, somebody knows my name. They're going to ask just more than how was my week. They're going to ask how was this in my week. Find a group. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, find a group. I did a group. I didn't connect. Great. Do another group. It's all right. You know? I don't always get a good burger at Freddy's, but I go back every week, you know. Find another burger. It's all right. You know, just go. It's a good thing. So just, I I just say that to you because I know this, that proximity determines the quality and direction of your life. And God has given us a gift of one another to be that proximity for each other. So who do you want to be? And who's in your proximity that's helping you get there? Let's pray together. Father, today, we thank you for the example of Lot, even though it's it's a a heartbreaking story. We're just little compromises. We're just 
all right, I'll just go, but I'm not going to participate. All right, I'm going. That sin that once tempted now entangles and now it enslaves. God, today, for some today, as I share, that's their story. That's where they're feeling today. I'm stuck at the gates. Lord, today, may they just have a sense of hope. Today, maybe just the courage and the purpose to say, I'm going to change some of my proximities. I'm going to bring people into my life who affirm, who will challenge me, who model for me the five things I want to be true. God, I want to be kind, generous. I want a faith that's more than just coming on Sunday. It's, it's a faith that's alive and shares with others. So God, I pray over these next weeks and months that for each of us, that we could find those relationships, those friendships that will spur us on to be the men and women that you've created us to be. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church slash give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.